I've got a very special guest going here today, but here on What's Up Enterprise, where we explore the latest technology trends across industries with the leading experts from around the globe. Um, today, we're going to go into a little bit about cybersecurity and its role in enterprises. And today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Robert Esposito, who I've known for a while here. We've developed a really good relationship. We've worked on some other projects together in the Web 3.0 space for things around cryptocurrency, blockchain, and uh, data sovereignty. Those are all topics we'd love to get into maybe in some future podcasts together. But today specifically, we're going to talk about the role of cybersecurity in the enterprise space. And there's quite a bit to talk about, I would say, at the moment. Things are evolving very rapidly within the security landscape. And I have a lot of questions. I could probably do a whole hour session on this alone or even longer. But let me first introduce Robert. If you could just give us a little bit of background, how you gotten into the space and how long you've been uh, doing sure. it. Sure. Security. Yep. Thank you, David. I'm so happy to be here to join you on this podcast. There's a lot to talk about in cyber. I've been in the Silicon Valley for 20 plus years in cybersecurity. Actually, started my early days in the mid 90s in the industrial control space. And there's a lot of things we could talk about OT and industrial control security and IoT and all that stuff. But in Silicon Valley, I've been involved with some very highly successful cybersecurity startups and also some very big companies like Boeing. I was a, a tech fellow, part of the tech fellow program at Boeing for years and led their cybersecurity business on an international scale. Lots of interesting things done there. As also, I've had the privilege of being hired to hack and pen test the 787 to get it flight ready for FAA certification back in the day in 2011 and 2012 and 2013, those timeframes. It's been very interesting ride. And of late, I've been a cybersecurity solutions advisor for a number of different companies. And my clients have been some very large enterprises to very small to medium businesses, right? Yep. But from a national scale, as I have experience in the Middle East, talking with nations and ministers of defense and their cyber programs to the small and medium enterprise, you know what's interesting? The problems are all the same. <laughs> and companies, nations, enterprises are just struggling, finding the right effectiveness in their tools, looking at proper context, tuning those tools to context. You reduce that false positive rate trying to drive efficiencies for security operations centers, all of those things. Happy to discuss more in detail, but that's the gist of it right now. Yeah, a couple of things. Well, first of all, I, I know you were also recently doing quite a bit of speaking also. I don't yeah. know if you were on TED conferences, but I know you were at conferences speaking. Yeah, future cons, accepted at B-Sides and other types of conferences. Lately, I was really taking a deep dive into, I call it XIOT, but the IoT space, right? IoT involves not just a refrigerator or a toaster that we connect to the internet, but you're talking about anything that has an embedded device that basically has a specialized firmware to perform a specific set of functions, but yet still uses the same types of ports and protocols that typical computers use. But the problem with embedded devices is that you can't install agents on them to monitor the security posture in real time. And so there's a huge problem out there. 
And, and that also includes, right, industrial control systems, operational technology, medical devices, because it, it, when it comes right down to it, these companies and manufacturers that make these devices are typically not security companies. Right. <laughs> so a lot of times these things are released to the market with tons of vulnerabilities. Yeah. Are just I've seen some different things about people going around neighborhoods and being able to hack into our IOT devices in our homes, like our printers, yeah. our devices. Is there a real security risk? Most of our devices now that we have in our home, they have to sign on to the network. So we give them authentication, they sign on like Ring. Is it possible for someone to go and use that and then access the rest of your data? So yes, it is possible. However, most hackers today are leveraging what Mandiant released a report last year. It's called Quiet Exit. And basically, Quiet Exit was a huge campaign where hackers had maintained persistence on company networks for 18 months, almost two years. And what Quiet Exit basically revealed was that hackers are pivoting. And typically, a hacker will get into an enterprise through a successful phishing campaign. Oh, I Some see. Some malicious link. Somebody has targeted phishing, perhaps. Looks like a real email from somebody. It's, there's an attachment or a URL that's malicious, and it gets through. And so hackers then get onto an endpoint. They realize that their time to live on that endpoint is very limited because guess what? There's typically IT assets. Laptops have next-gen antivirus. They have other types of security controls oh, that on makes there. Sense. And so what the hackers will do is they'll immediately start looking for these XIOT. I say XIOT. Anything that's an embedded device, they'll look for these IoT devices on the enterprise. And they'll pivot to those things because those IoT devices typically have levels eight, nine, and 10 vulnerabilities. It requires very little skill and it's extremely easy to compromise these devices and maintain persistence and then remove all traces of the original compromise on that endpoint IT asset. And then now companies have no idea that hackers are on the network doing their maliciousness in the quiet exit, they found that hackers were launching attacks to Microsoft web services on-prem, as well as in the cloud via the API stuff. But the bottom line is, this is a huge problem in the enterprise right now. There's roughly three to five IoT devices per every employee in a typical enterprise. Now, granted, if you're a retail customer, it might be more. If you're a law firm, it might be less. But the bottom line is there's a ton of devices connected in every company. And yet those companies typically are not monitoring them. And it's a very difficult problem to solve. Now, getting back to your home question, sure, it's war driving, right? You're driving around looking for Wi-Fi networks and you'd have to have some level of sophistication. But many people use default passwords over 50% of these IoT devices <laughs> like password. using default passwords, right? People aren't managing them. They're not upgrading the firmware on these things. So if someone is doing IoT, looking for things, war driving, looking for Wi-Fi networks, it's possible. But most of the hacks right now are getting in through phishing campaigns. So someone clicks you know, a malicious link and that's how hackers can get into the network. So what's really interesting is I've seen some very large global organizations talk about one of the things we should really be worried about 
is actually cyber attacks. I've seen very prominent, very powerful people start to talk about almost as if they know it's going to happen on a large scale. One could actually assess that it's happening on lots of fronts right now. So do you think that enterprises or heads of organizations are fully aware of the risk and are big companies taking the right steps? Are they taking any steps? Yeah. Yeah. It all comes down to security program strategy. I've been shocked to see some larger companies don't have a very mature security program. They're maybe informal in the way they're doing it, or they're throwing technology at a cyber problem. And sometimes that doesn't work out too well. Um, Other companies have a very mature security program and they're able to do more, drive those efficiencies and effectiveness. The key word there is effective to help stay on top of threats. There's technologies out there that can help automate things, orchestrate things together so that many different technology solutions can work in concert together to provide greater efficiency and visibility into what's going on in the enterprise at any given moment. There's a lot of great technologies out there that leverage AI. We could probably talk more about that. AI is important, but it's not the cure-all, but because there's always that context problem with AI. AI typically has to learn what's normal and what's not. There's training algorithms and all that stuff. And I have a patent in AI type stuff. The bottom line is absolutely there's awareness. Some companies don't know where to begin and where to start. And I have a lot of uh, companies asking me, Robert, what works? What's not working out there? What do you suggest? And sometimes from a security program standpoint, just starting with a particular framework will help give proper guidance like NIST, the cybersecurity framework, CSF, that whole thing, right? So it could be ISO, but the bottom line is you have to have some sort of formal metrics out there to help measure your effectiveness and at least ensure that you're doing the best practices to stay on top of things. And no one's going to fault you for at least doing the best practice. There's no perfect technologies out there. And I always say it's not a matter of if, it's just when something will get compromised in your environment. But if at least you've done your best practice and you're trying to stay on top of things, you know, you're going to be able to have a leg up in that regard. I think there's a really large misconception out there, though, around cybersecurity. I think often organizations tend to think this is just a technology issue. And I think if you really evaluate it, it's really probably things also that can be handled or looked at through your company policies, your procedures. I'm hoping nowadays people are actually developing teams and creating a holistic approach. Sure. So David, look, if you and I, we're working on a side project together, right? Let's say we start that company up and we decide to develop a security program that has all the right things in there. It's got a pro, all that stuff. And then we hire employees and you can have the best technology in the world and the best programs and everything. And you're just passing with flying colors, but you know where the weakest link is? It's the human in the loop. You cannot control what that user will click on if something happens to squeak by in an email that's malicious. So you're always going to have a problem in that. So what you can do is you can throw technology to help try to weed out those moments where those things that maybe might usually get through. So technology can solve a problem, but that last mile is always going to be, what is that human going to do? 
Are they going to click on that link or are they going to say, you know what, this sounds funny. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to report it. It Sometimes it is a technology program. If you don't have technology giving you the proper visibility in one particular area of the cyber problem, then you're going to need to shore up that gap for sure. Now, is that particular technology going to be perfect? No, it's impossible. There is no perfect technology out there, but at least it can give you a head start so that, you know, at some point, if something happens and you are compromised, you have the proper visibility and the right information there so that you can do proper forensics. And if you have an incident response team coming in, you know, they have the right information to assess the damage, how far it went, et cetera. That's why having those incident response retainers in place are important. A lot of companies are getting cyber insurance now, and that's really expensive. Wow. When it comes to cyber insurance in this regard, (laughs) we really want to make sure that you are in fact looking into a incident to determine if it's worthy enough to report to your insurance company. Because the last thing you want to do is be premature to report an incident to a cyber insurance company. Because what happens when you report to cyber insurance companies is they come in with all their armies of people and they completely overtake everything and look at everything, looking under the carpets, looking into every corner. They will assess every tool you have, look at everything you have and determine where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. And many times they're going to hold you accountable and say, we're not going to renew your policy until you fix these things. So that's why like incident response retainers are really important, whereas you can have a party come in to assess what's going on so that you can determine if it's worthy or necessary to report to your cyber insurance company. I've heard it said it's like a tube of toothpaste. Once you squeeze Mm. that tube, you can't put the toothpaste back in. That's when you report to a cyber insurance company, you can't take that back. Oh boy. You got to go the distance. So it is in fact a technology problem and it's also a human in the loop problem. And that's why security awareness training and there's companies out there that specialize in that type of thing. And companies need to do that anyway, just to say compliant as part of their program Mm -hmm. initiatives. These are really good points. And like I said, this topic alone, we could really do different episodes on and especially for example, on artificial intelligence and its role we're working together with humans or yep. can you talk a little bit about what's out there Absolutely. and, what, and what, love to hear your yeah. opinion because things yeah. are changing quickly. Absolutely. The cybersecurity solutions out there that involved AI, that could be machine learning and there's different categories. Let's just call it AI for now. But early on, it was the baseline. So typical solutions out there, you'd put the solution into a learning mode and that solution would run on the network learning a baseline of that network to determine, okay, once that learning is done, anything that falls outside of that baseline would be anomalous. That was good. It was better than nothing. However, one of the problems was if there were malicious behaviors going on in the network while that solution was learning, you've just now baselined the malicious behaviors as part of normal and determining things and detecting things is tough. And so It's always that context problem. And of course, now algorithms are getting in data scientists and we're getting more and more signals out there. And that's the Achilles heel of any AI. It's that learning portion. How do you determine what is normal and what is not? What are the data sets that you're learning? What is normal and what is not? 
and there's clustering algorithms and there's a ton of different ways that you can have these tools understand context. But in the end, you're going to have to have some sort of tuning that's required for the system to understand the context of your particular enterprise because no two enterprises are the same. There's always uniqueness about it. Now, of course, let's just do the 80-20. 80% of the things are going to be common, right? But it's always that last mile. It's that understanding what's going on there. And so AI is so important because it can do a lot of the heavy lifting, though, to weed out the problem. And so you have some algorithms that are extremely accurate and no-brainer detections is what I call it. You've got those outliers. It's a no-brainer that one particular, if you've got a bell-shaved curve, you know, you've got the outliers. There's, no, there's a no-brainer that some of these things that it's detecting are absolutely malicious. And it's a known-brainer that some of these things that it's not detecting are benign. But it's that middle area of gray zone where the tool doesn't really know, is this malicious or not? It is a little bit different than what normal looks like, but they're not quite sure. And that's a problem with systems with AI, because you always have to have someone stay on top of these tools to tune out the noise and provide greater context. Now AI is approaching with ChatGPT and OpenAI and all the stuff that's exploding now since late last year. Now you have the ability to ask questions of these AI-driven tools to even write code to do such and such of a function, right? How do you do this? What does do that? Help me understand tokenomics in Web3. But you could do whatever. I mean, you sent me a link the other day that helps <laughs> bring down the complexities of Web3 into common everyday language. And I thought that was great. But the bottom line is people are using these AI tools to do all kinds of stuff and leapfrog them into effectiveness. Now, colleges are worried about it. Students are using this stuff to write their essays and all that stuff. But AI is being used to help people being better, whatever they're trying to do. So AI to help in the cybersecurity problem, it's getting even better. But guess what the threat actors are doing? They're using this same AI to generate malware and to understand, ask the tool about, tell me the most common vulnerabilities for X, Y, and Z. And this thing will spit out what it knows because of the huge voluminous database that it has access to worldwide. And so now you have AI being used for nefarious means. Now you have AI being used for just common everyday thing. It used to be AI was part of these really expensive technology tools. Now it's right. open and free to anybody. It's really interesting. And so we're going to start seeing an explosion of AI in ways that we've never seen. And we all should be concerned because, again, the very things that we would think is proprietary and secret and guarded, now it's available to everybody out there, including malicious threat actors. And that's why cybersecurity is fun. You're never done. So here's something interesting. Going back to Elon Musk. It's really interesting. So someone so well in tune to technology and all that's going on out there. I'm not sure if everyone's actually heard Elon talk about AI and its threat to security and other things, but it's been out there like on different platforms, people tweeting that Elon actually is like, Hey, we need to be afraid. He's concerned. 
So that's really interesting when a guy like Elon's actually well, concerned yeah. about this AI. So what's he, can you tell me a little bit more about his specific concern? Was it AI taking over the world? So his whole thing really is we need to take it very seriously. There should be safety boards, AI safety. There, there should be more being done. And I just watched a um, podcast today with Sam Altman, one of the founders of OpenAI, and they talk right. about this. It's really tough because... On one set, like you want it to be a very powerful AI, they had to make the decision around safety and security because at some point you limit it and it loses its power when you do put some safety routines around it. And so welcome to the challenge. It's a conundrum. It really how, is. How much control do you put on AI to prevent it from overtaking or doing something that you don't want it to cross the line, but then you start limiting the very thing that you're trying to, to accomplish. And that mm -hmm. is for it to provide freely information. The problem with AI right now is bias. Bias in any type of algorithm is a problem. Like us as humans, we're very biased. Bias is a problem because how do you have a system that's unbiased? And if bias is overtaking the conclusions of what AI is providing you, then it's going to start basically only responding in ways that it wants you to know the intention. And it's not going to maybe respond in the most truthful open, providing yeah. the information that's in there. But bias is a problem. And that's why sure. data scientists are always looking for data sets for it to learn that are the most representative of real world solutions. Because if you start making conclusions on a limited data set, it's going to just now perpetuate that bias and everybody else that's receiving biased messages and information is going to perpetuate that bias too. And the whole idea like with Twitter is Elon's trying to move bias in Twitter by removing the bounds of the content police that was basically all Twitter was biased and how they were moving forth the specific agendas that they had and basically removing things that didn't fit what they wanted. There you go. That's a bias issue. It's monitoring content and only releasing that what you want and not what you don't want. And you have to have some sort of controls around things like that. Because if you've got sex trafficking or some of these bad things that are out there, of course you want to stop the bad stuff. But the problem is the gray area. Remember we talked about the gray area? Twitter was operating in gray area. Maybe yeah. that analyst didn't agree with that. Right. So that analyst was saying, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to allow that to be released. But that's bias. It doesn't harm. It's not illegal. It's not really bad. It's a biased release. Same thing's happening with chat, GPT, and all AI. And that's so, the challenge with anybody is to get rid of that bias. And it's hard, right? Yeah. Can we get you back on it? Yeah. I would love to just have a, an open chat about what's going on. It is truly fascinating. You talked yep, about yep. Moore's Law. And we all know this is representation of the growth of technology, right? And yep. we're now potentially seeing technology grow in in days now. And so it's a very Absolutely. interesting time. And so it's definitely worth talking more in detail. I know we're out of 
time today. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I'd love to have you back on and maybe we'll do a session on that. In closing though, I know there's a lot of organizations probably listening to this because they want to know what steps can we take or should we be doing right now, given this, it seems to be a real concern. What would you tell an organization to do? I will just capitalize on one of my latest conferences that I was presenting on. And that is ask the question, because that whole XIOT space or IOXT, depends on who you read about, because companies typically don't know what's on their network in regard to those types of devices, the number one question I would ask any CISO or CIO is, how are you discovering and monitoring these devices? And do you know what's on your network? Do you truly do? Because typically... A company will say, we think we have 20,000 devices on the network and it winds up being 40 to 50,000 devices. Wow. And those are the attack surfaces that hackers are compromising right now. And we could talk, I can go into so much depth as far as what the latest (laughs) things are doing. And it's fascinating and it's, and it's completely doable. There are technologies out there that I know of that can really help solve some of these problems, but visibility It has been said 80% of companies out there right now have no idea what they have on their network. They don't, 80%. So everybody has this problem, but no one's really doing anything about it. That has to change because that's where hackers are compromising right now. As we talk about quiet exit, there's botnets and other things, but we can talk about that later. So yeah, let's make it part two here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. I think that's great advice. Yeah, that's a pretty big number. I'm sure there's a business model in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Robert, thank you again for joining us. And I hope you guys all enjoyed this, this episode. And if you have any questions for Robert, please don't hesitate to reach out, comment in the comment box, or you can reach us online also. Yeah, very good. Thank you, David. Awesome.